You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Erik Bakstad at Ardoc. The idea was that we would do like a, a GitHub model. So uh, sell it cheap and then scale big. Uh, obviously that was a terrible idea in hindsight. Welcome to episode 18 of the SAS Nordic podcast. And here we go again, Daniel. Here we go again, Thomas. It's, it's always as fun to sit here with you and record these episodes. And um, I'm also extra thrilled to have another Norwegian company that ranked really high in the poll we ran a couple of months ago. So it, it's, it's cool to have them here now. Absolutely. And one thing that is so fun with doing this podcast is to explore the rich world of SaaS companies across the Nordics. And I don't think any of us had um, heard about Ardoc before, but now when we see it, I mean, it's one of the major SaaS companies in Norway. Yeah, definitely. And I feel almost a little bit ashamed that we didn't know about it, you know, <laughs> considering what they've done and, you know, being a global player out of the Nordics and, and the revenue range they're in. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a learning exercise for us as well. Absolutely. So uh, going to be interesting to uh, talk to their CEO in just a while uh, about how they came up with our product within digital transformation and enterprise architecture. But before we go into that, I would like also to say that um, I think you should join the SAS Nordic Slack community growing all the time. Um, now we are more than 550 uh, members, so you should definitely join the discussions there and um, make new contacts. Make new contacts and lots of good conversations going on. And really, for, for me, at least personally, working in, in sales in SAS, there's been quite a bit of, of tidbits that, that I could pick up and, and actually leverage and, and use with my team. So lots of lots of good people that are really willing to share their experience. Absolutely. And expect us to continue with the podcast all summer long. We're not going to take any breaks here. And uh, if you have any suggestions on upcoming guests, you are always uh, welcome to to turn to us i'm laughing a little bit because you know i don't know if you have <laughs> i haven't told my wife yet that there's no summer break so. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right but uh, i think when it comes to the clubhouse events we're actually gonna have a break but uh, we're gonna go on for a couple of weeks and uh, on friday that is tomorrow we're going to talk about product-led growth so don't miss it um eight o'clock AM Central European Summertime. In Clubhouse. In Clubhouse. Excellent. But let's continue. Let's talk to Erik Bakstad at Ardoc. Let's do it. Today, we are very happy to have Erik Bakstad, the CEO of Ardoc, here as a guest at the SAS Nordic podcast. So, welcome, Erik. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for having me. It's really great to have you here. And I know you're in the middle of, of an exciting journey here. So, we really appreciate that you're showing up here with us today. Thank you. No worries. It's, uh... Excited to see what you're doing with the SaaS Nordic community. Sure. And uh, we would like to hear you tell us a little bit about yourself because we think you have an interesting personal journey. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is in in uh, computer science. Uh, we used to work as a developer and a technical architect. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I worked in larger companies uh, both in the finance and telco sector, and uh, you know, I was 
I kind of figured out that I didn't belong in larger companies. I was frustrated with the processes and I, you know, I was eager to do a lot of the things that wasn't necessarily in my role description. So, uh, and eventually I figured out that, you know, starting a company would probably be a, be a, you know, a good idea. Um, so we started the Arduck uh, in 2013. Uh, so it was my, my co-founder had this idea of, uh, of, um, you know, a novel approach to building, uh, what we call like enterprise architecture tools, which is essentially our, our, our market. Um, and a lot of people haven't heard about that before, so we can talk about what that is and, and, uh, yeah, we definitely need it. Yes. <laughs> yes. We will come to that. <laughs> so, so. You know, I we started out. I had the CTO role for five years. Then I moved into a CPO role, Chief Product Officer, and then I took over as a CEO uh, a couple of uh, months ago. So it's been an interesting journey, and and you know, it's um, I, I guess that's what you were referring to. <laughs> right, right. And, and was this always the plan to go that route, or or it, it's a little bit unorthodox journey? Yeah, no, it's it's kind of that's the big irony, right? When I was a developer, I was like, I'm not going to become a manager ever. Uh, and and you know the irony is striking. So, uh, but it wasn't a plan. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember I, I recently read an article. I think it was in 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 DN and and where the headline was like the guy that didn't want to be a leader is going to lead this amazing Norwegian company to world domination, something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's not that you know I didn't want to be a leader. It's just that I thought of, I, I wanted uh, to specialize within technology. That was really where I wanted to uh, to spend my time. And uh, yeah, I guess like circumstances, uh, you know, cost uh, that plan to change. <laughs> right, 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 right. So t- tell us, and for, for the audience that don't know about Arduk, so who is Arduk? What problem do you solve for your customers? Yeah, so Arduk is a, a software service platform. We help customers uh, navigate change projects. So, you know, you can call it digital transformation. It's a buzzword that everybody's talking about, but um, it is descriptive because it, what happens when you change is you have to change the way people work, uh, the processes that they work within, the systems that support those processes, the data that you process and, and, you know, the infrastructure around it. And, uh, our domain called enterprise architecture is using uh, formal techniques and modeling to 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 uh, create a model of the organization. So you know the, an analogy that I often use is and to, you know think about financial modeling in Excel. You, there's always a model behind it, and once you have the model, you can make changes and you can run simulations and you can understand impact. Well, it's exactly the same in in Arduk. Uh, you can run. You can model the organization. Uh, you can run uh, analysis to understand, for instance, what happens if a process is changed, who are the people that are affected, uh, you know. And then we can also run simulations on top of that. So it's essentially a, a pretty, pretty sophisticated graph uh, engine with with the kind of modeling support on top, and then there's this scenario model as well. So, so who who needs this? Like, well, who's your ideal customer profile? Like, is there Certain brackets you go after, certain certain you don't. Yeah, so so the the market that we're in is called enterprise architecture tools. So that's an established market. It's a it's a niche market, um, and uh, you know that's that's kind of our our growth market uh, currently. Uh, the the target audience is typically chief enterprise architects or IT directors or chief digital officers uh, in organizations and. Uh, 
they typically approach us when you know either they had an event that showed them that they didn't have control right so that could be like they just got exposed to a you know cyber attack and now they're trying to understand the ramifications or it could be that they're you know initially starting a transformation journey and a typical one is they're moving to the cloud right so like an or- older company large existing IT infrastructure and they're trying to figure out how to move to the cloud and how to do it and what the risks are and, and that, that decision support essentially. Uh, okay. So what I'm curious about is how did you get the idea to to start RDoc and try to solve this problem? Because I mean, did you just wake up one day and said, we know how we're going to, uh, you know, start a company and, uh, you know, do something really great. This is what we're going to do. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So like I said in the intro, it was really my co-founder, Magnus Piesko. It was his idea. And and uh, I guess like uh, most problems, he, he was experiencing the problem himself. He was working in a large uh, bank at the time, and they were making some fundamental changes to the entire core banking system. And... Uh, you know, he was working as an enterprise architect and trying to understand the impact of this change. And essentially what he did was that he walked around the organization interviewing people, um, trying to map out all the systems, all the data, all the integrations that is going to change. So what he did then was basically create uh, what, you know, is essentially architecture diagrams. Uh, so large uh, diagrams explaining the interactions between systems and, and all that stuff. And... Um, you know, that's a lot of, you know, think about Visio, right? There's a lot of drawing uh, happening, but it, you can't really get to the data and analyze the impact. So, you know, at some point he got tired and he just started using an Excel sheet and everything, every time he met somebody new, he just took the Excel sheet and draw, like drew up the integrations on a whiteboard. And, and that way, every time there was a system that was missing, he could just add it as a new uh, row in the spreadsheet. And, and, you know, that was the original idea where he said, well, actually, why you don't like build a system that can automatically visualize this stuff, uh, this, this Excel sheet. So I think he, he, uh, took it an Easter uh, vacation and created a prototype, uh, for, you know, a system that could, you know, based on this Excel sheet automatically visualize it. And that, that was the, the, the prototype that he showed me and, and colleagues at the consultancy that, that he also started where, where I worked. And uh, I immediately recognized the problem from my existing role uh, where I was. Um, so that, that was kind of how it started out. And then we, we spent six months building the system in our spare time together with two others. Um, and, uh, you know, just hacking away, really. Uh, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Probably an exciting period as well, the, these first steps, uh, trying to figure things out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, experiencing with a lot of technology that we didn't use in our workplace. And it was, it was really fun. Um, and then at some point, I... I don't think I really thought we would start a company at that point because I quit my job and supposed to start in another role. And then my Magnus said, well, how much money do you need to survive? Uh, and I was dumb enough to answer it. And uh, <laughs> How much did you need? Yeah. It, was, it, was, it wasn't enough. I should have asked for more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, and it's also one of these dialogues you need to have with your wife or, or somebody else. <laughs> right. But give us the number. Well, I think I said like, I, so remember this was in 2013. I probably said like 600,000 knocks or something a year. Okay, knocks. That's a lot of money. <laughs> well, not if you live in Oslo with two kids in an apartment, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. I see. 
But uh, all right. But but another thing here was this an established category? Did you have a new idea that could go in and disrupt the market? Or yeah, that's a great question. Yes, it was an established category, um, and the the insight that we had was that a lot of the existing tools were focused on drawing these diagrams or these these uh, models. It was manually. Um, it was a there's there's a lot of uh, domain expertise and value in how to create the model. So there's a lot of techniques, but actually the system support for expressing them was pretty uh, manual. So our approach was essentially to take a data-driven, so data-first approach. So uh, that means that you have to figure out, you know, what is the data, what is the structure of it? So information modeling. And then we uh, decided to automatically create the diagrams or the visualizations off the data. So we basically turned it around. And that obviously scales a lot better because since you have a clean data model, you can run analysis on it. And also you save a ton of time for the architects. Um, so, so that was kind of the, the initial idea. And, and you know, the, the category is, you, you know, there's uh, this enterprise architecture tools, obviously. There's uh, also surrounding markets like uh, modeling tools for, solu- for systems. Uh, you know, if there's developers listening, UML diagrams and stuff like that. So there's definitely an existing market. But at the time, we were a bit hesitant to to kind of put ourselves directly into a market because there was also some challenges in, in enterprise architecture at the time, especially because, you know, a lot, a lot of the enterprise architects in big businesses were seen as more of like an ivory tower function, gatekeepers that had to approve change. So instead of being a change agent, they were kind of a ch- restricting change. Uh, and and because of that, we didn't really want to be associated with the with the market. Um, and I think that also led us into a a period where we were really trying to, or struggling to find a good market fit because we 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 were essentially doing a new category. <laughs> yeah. And how did you make sure that you were developing something that uh, customers really needed? Were you in close contact with customers during these six months when you started developing the prototype or the the MVP? So I would say yes and no. Uh, we we sold the product to three customers pretty much from day one. Uh, so yes, we 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 um, we talked to customers. How did you find the first three? Oh, that's a good question. And it, it wasn't it wasn't friends and family. No, uh, no, <laughs> but I think it was probably network. So we we like we had a pretty good network at the time. So we we I believe we used that. Um, and uh, you know, and then another thing is like we sold the idea was that we would do like a a GitHub model, so uh, sell it cheap, and then scale big, right? So uh, obviously that was a terrible idea in hindsight. But uh, <laughs> you know, the idea was that we would do um, architectural diagrams for developers, and those were the key uh, target market for us. And as developers ourselves, that was easy because we built a tool that we wanted to use ourselves. Um, the problem was, you know, it didn't work. <laughs> so. Hey, you live, you live, and you learn. Hey, hey here's a potentially a newbie question, but uh, you mentioned a little bit that when there's a big digital transformation project like some of the, these bankings, they're moving everything to the cloud now. It's a natural exercise to go to to somebody like Arduk. Uh, what I was thinking is that yes, that makes sense, but what happens? Once I'm done with this big project, am I yeah? Like, do I not need Arduk anymore, or what happens next? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the one of the key takeaways that we had, or or key learnings that we had going into building a company, was that large projects 
always have this pre-project where they're mapping, figuring out what to do, how to do it, what's the risk, and so on and so forth. So basically, uh, you know, what's the business case? That could be big, expensive projects. And there's been some spectacular failures where, you know, just here in Norway, the, you know, the there's projects that are, you know, in, in the billions, uh, you know. So it's a huge waste up front because you have to start from scratch. So the idea was if you have a starting point, if you already have the, the, the model of your business that is somewhat up to date, you get a head start, which is, you know, obviously a huge save in lead time. Um, so, so that was one insight we had. The other insight is that it's not an end state. There's never a stable state in a fast growing organization. So it's not really like you're done moving to the cloud. It's just that that's the phase one. And then phase two comes, which is typically this uh, phase where companies realize that, oh, the cloud is expensive. Maybe I should have thought, you know, <laughs> to go for an hybrid approach or maybe spread my payloads across multiple clouds and so on and so forth. So it's, I guess the point is making is that it's always a continuous change process. It's iterative. And that's why the tool should also, you know, help um, the users keep the data up to date and, and so that you don't spend time, you know, punching data. Like, so, that, so that means that there's a lot of automation in our tools. There's a lot of workflow supports for getting to the information that is in people's head, which is the hardest part. Yeah. So we're going to continue dive into how you found uh, product market fit. But I know that Daniel wants to uh, go and take a look at the numbers as well so we can get the picture of the, the size of your operation. We all do. We all do. And I, I know, Eric, you've been running a really uh, strong ship over there. So can you share some of the numbers with us? You know, what's your uh, ARR right now? How fast are you growing here year over year? And if you can share some stuff on, on the amount of customers where you guys are uh, currently present and people always want to know, like, how deep are your pockets? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I understand that. Uh, I don't want to go into the specific ARR numbers, but I'll give you the bucket we're in. We're in that 10 to 20, 10 to 20 million dollar ARR bucket. Um, we, 110 employees, uh, we have 70% category over the last two years. Um, so, you know, growing quickly. Uh, we've just raised a Series C round, $26 million in total. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's some some key numbers for you. Uh, negative churn. Uh, yeah. So all the numbers are pointing in the right direction. So what is the last round going to be used for? What what, what are we doing with the twenty six million? Well, you know, keeping a seventy percent year by year growth rate is expensive in a SaaS model. So uh, <laughs> it's but but you know it it is really you know go expanding internationally, uh, making sure that our core channel uh, scales and then opening up new channels. So, uh, you know, we're selling to, to you know, mid-market customers today, but we know that there's a huge need in larger enterprises. So that's that's definitely part of it. And then uh, there's a lot of partners uh, that, that is also interesting. So, you know, the mid-market enterprise and partners. And uh, what uh, geographies are you in right now? So we have our our headquarters in Oslo. That's where our R and D teams and a lot of the administration sits. And then we have a office in Copenhagen, uh, London, and New York City. And we also have some some uh, uh, remote workers across different uh, other countries. So. Okay. And in what markets are you actively pursuing deals? So our core markets is in Europe and North America, and then. Uh, we have, uh, but we also have an inbound machine, so we have customers across the world, really. SaaS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer -peer community on Slack, 
My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic Community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. Today we're here to talk about uh, a few particular topics and one of them in our prep talk we discussed was product market fit from a product perspective and obviously you're a product guy from from the beginning here so how did this journey look for you guys like how do you establish product market fit yeah and you already said that the first one uh the first iteration wasn't really successful so yeah talk us through the failures right so so one of the challenges that we had initially was you know we 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 were technologists building the technology for ourselves, and we had an assumption that a business model of selling to developers would uh, work. So we had a pretty low price point, and then we were uh, we needed some kind of network effect. That was the original hypothesis, and we started building the technology with that hypothesis, uh, and you know, essentially selling deals for I think it was like twenty nine bucks per month per user. Uh, and we sold, uh, you know, some companies early, but, you know, I remember specifically, we went on a business trip to, to the West Coast here in Norway, and we sold a deal. And then we went af- out for dinner to celebrate the deal. And then we, when we did the calculations, we figured out that that customer would have to renew, f- renew for three years in order to actually pay for the trip and the dinner. <laughs> so, you know. So either very, very expensive dinner or you're undercharging. <laughs> right. And it was probably, well, it was definitely not expensive, but, but you know, it, it, it should have hit us at that point that this model is going to be really hard to kick off unless we have some kind of network effect. And do you still have legacy customers paying $29 a month or? I, I think actually the, well, I no, but uh, we did have a few up until uh, not too long ago. So, okay. But I guess the point uh, is that we we really were building a tool for ourselves, and what the market really wanted was something different, and that took us a while to to figure out. Um, and and I remember the the event that really changed it for us, and that was when GDPR uh, really started becoming a concern for customers. Um, and you know a lot of businesses in Europe was trying to figure out what's the impact of this new regulation. Where do you know what data do we store on our servers? What, uh, who's using the data? What are they using it for? And suddenly we realized that that's a huge problem that we can solve. And then that's really where we started increasing our prices, really understanding we're selling to you know stakeholders that aren't necessarily our users. Uh, and and you know. In hindsight, if we actually knew what we were doing, if we had a more of a product approach instead of building the technology first, we could have maybe saved some time there. Um, but it's a flip side, since we spent a lot of time building technology that could do a lot of these things and was a very generic platform, we now have uh, a lot of opportunities to to you know take our platform into different segments as well. So you said that GDPR actually opened doors and created new business opportunities for you. Have it been... Has it been similar now in in the Corona time that uh, you also has that also be a, been a driver for you? Um, I think it's definitely been a catalyst. Uh, you know, digital transformation has been put on the agenda to such an extreme extent with with COVID, uh, and I think it's, if anything, it's been a tailwind uh, that supports what we were already doing. Um, so it's been an accelerator, but not. It's not like we have something. Well, we actually do have customers that are using Arduino to 
to map out uh, COVID distribution in certain countries. So that's definitely uh, <laughs> a use case, but um, but it was more of a, a tailwind to our existing market at the time. Right, right, right. And I think it's interesting what you say because it's 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 one thing to establish that you know we've all had the tipping point where you feel like okay now this sticks, and, and then we win our first customers and we get some some momentum. But at some point down the journey, at least for some of us, we realize that okay, it's not scalable. Like I need to do something different now. Did you guys go through a similar journey like that? Or once you figured it out, it was just guns blazing? Yeah, well, I like we had probably three, four years uh, where we knew that this doesn't scale at all. <laughs> and But that was in that find the market fit uh, period. Um, I think about product market fit as a spectrum. It's not a binary thing. It's not either or, right? So in the beginning, we probably had like 50%. And then we started seeing that, okay, we're closing deals, there's repeatability, we can increase prices because we're actually, you know, solving a real problem. And then we, that, that suddenly gave us some signal. And, and as I said in the beginning, the most frustrating part in the beginning was that we didn't have signal. We didn't know what to do. So we could like move 180 degrees and try something different. Um, but there was no, nothing to kind of center around and hone in on. So once we did, you know, GDPR hit, we suddenly got something, and from then on, uh, it went relatively quickly. And and once we hit it, we started growing really, really fast. Um, and and I remember asking myself one question: It's like, what is product market fit? Which is sounds stupid in hindsight, but I really wanted to figure it out. And I heard uh, probably some other founder said that when you're asking yourself that question, you don't have it because once you have it, you'll know it. And that's that's really true for us at least. So. And what was the answer? Sorry, maybe you don't want me to ask that. No, but, but I, I think uh, when you have something that solves a real problem, then you will figure out how to sell it to customers, right? And and then of course, the process of understanding how to sell it and, and the demos and how to build the system around it, you know, that's off, that's tweaking and turning the knobs. But if you don't really have knobs to turn in the first place, it's it's not really it's hard to continuously improve. If that makes sense. Do you have a customer case that is the perfect example of how you can utilize RDoC in the best way that you always maybe tell the story around? I think one of the first things you need to do when you're starting with enterprise architecture is you know understanding the systems that you have in your organization. Well, I have one case where um, I, I'm not sure I can use the names, but I'll just say that there was a, a, a startup in Sweden that was growing really, really quickly. Uh, and they uh, eventually had 600 systems that they needed to manage. Uh, and they had been using Arduk from the day one to manage those systems, map it out, understand the, the impact, the data that was dealing with, and so on and so forth. This company was in the payment industry and eventually got bought up. And once they were bought up during the due diligence process, um, the the company that bought them asked whether, you know, did they have a technical technical due deal? And the answer was yes, we have RDoC. And they basically spend you know two hours walking through the system and the documentation that they had instead of having to do like a week long process. So that that's that's not necessarily like sweet spot use case, but it just shows uh, an interesting thing, which is that. Building an organization is today, the complexity grows so quickly because every department is buying their own systems. Everybody's, you know, figuring out how to, you know, uh, remove friction in their, their, their work. 
which means that suddenly you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of systems just as a small startup. Right. And and if you decide to deal with that complexity, uh, you know, upfront, you can save time. Uh, you know, when you, when you hit these compliance processes. Um, on the flip side, large organizations that have three generations of technology, they also have the problem. So I guess they're converging on this this uh, enterprise complexity problem, which needs to be managed. And that's really where we, we fit in. So I guess that was a long answer to something, <laughs> which is uh, that we're dealing with organization complexity. So there's so many flavors of it. That is really interesting. And, and once you've established product market fit, then it's really about building your business and organization. Like, how did you go about it? Yeah, so... so um, at that time, we were probably 10, 13 people, and most of them were technologists, uh, developers, and we had to build a you know, a sales team, obviously. So um, we didn't have a ton of funding at the time. We had enough to, to hire, but it was really uh, hard for us to grow uh, you know, sales, marketing, uh, products, engineering in parallel. So we had to kind of build something new. And, and so we started in sales. Um, and, you know, as we figured out how to sell the product that we had, um, or the technology that we had, rather, uh, we we had enough funding to start adding a new department. So we, so we added a product team. I think that's that type of organic journey that means that you're kind of growing a, a you're not some, it's it's not like you're growing symmetrically, right? Which means that the thing you build is a reflection of the organization you had when you built it. <laughs> so for us, so for us, we had the strong technology, but we didn't have a product, and it was difficult to sell. So we ended up selling whatever the customer needed and could use the technology for. And all of credit to our sales team that managed to do that and still grow super super quickly. Um, but you know, as we started to grow, then we added, a, like I said, a product team and a marketing team, and, and a lot of the story developed. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of startups. And it's something that you, I think, is worth reflecting on it, like because I think a lot of the strengths and and uh, and also the culture of the company comes out of that type of the journey. So, for instance, us like for Arctic, we're super. We have an extreme amount of grit, also almost to a point where we can make something work, even though the systems aren't scalable underneath it. Now it's starting to get scalable, but but that type of culture com- came out of our journey, and I think that's that story is different for all companies, probably. Um, but I think it's something that, at least as a founder that has been through the entire journey, you, you it's worth reflecting on. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think it's it's such an interesting approach because it also. Uh, at some point uh, touches on the topic about prioritization you can't do everything at once and you just have to have the courage to grow asymmetrically within the organization and uh, uh, you know I, I think I don't envy the people that have to go through that exercise no and I think it d- doesn't really stop either right because it, it just becomes different flavors so once you you go internationally how do you do it in what order um, so I think just the skills you you have in terms of organizational design if you can call it that um, it, it, you, you're going to use it as you keep scaling. How do you ensure that you keep the culture when you are growing this fast? Because I know culture is really important for you guys. Yeah, so so um, I think it's important to take a step back and and uh, acknowledge that where we came from, uh, a company consultancy called Miles, they've been 
you know, one of the leaders in Norway to build this uh, servant leadership uh, culture. And they won a bunch of prizes and they're really, really thought leaders in how to build a culture of knowledge workers. And that was the DNA that we took into Ardok when we started it. So we knew that, you know, getting the right people in uh, is critical. So we've had a, a maniacal focus on hiring from day one. Um, so that's one way to to keep the culture is that you, you have a consistency in the hiring process and, and also that you talk about what you're trying to build so that people self-select into the culture instead of you trying to figure out whether they are a fit. Um, so speaking about the vision and, and, and the type of company you want to build during the hiring process is, is, is a kind of a prerequisite uh, to, to having the, the people that want to build something. Uh, Later on, that becomes values that you institutionalize and you think about. But in the beginning, it was really something we just we wanted to replicate the culture that we knew worked from another company. If that makes sense, it does. Yeah, sure. So, so it started with the philosophy the, around it, and then it grew from there. Yeah. So, so and and the philosophy there was really you know, uh, you know, people that was really strong technically, but also have empathy and care about others, right? And that you can build a lot of, you know, powerful teams on those two two things. So what is next for Ardoc? Uh, we have already talked about, you have got uh, funding, we're talking about international expansion. Do you have other things that, uh, that lies ahead that uh, you can tell us a little bit about? Well, it, it's... Um, when you when you're passing that ten million dollar threshold and uh, you have momentum and I, I guess it's called the exit velocity, <laughs> it's really about making sure that you keep that growth. So, you know, we, we're we're really focusing now on early indicators, building that system where we can measure where, whether we're doing the right things. Uh, you know, we that that obviously uh, means we have to track. Uh, things we do, uh, and both in the product, but also in the sales processes, and and that that process is really, um, you know, it's it's a change, uh, and it takes time internally. So so I think there's nothing like revolutionary. We're gonna you know launch any completely new product. Is really making sure that what we have now really really scales, and that we get the bugs out of the system. There's still some you know small things that is preventing us from from doing even more. Um, and and I think that's one of the most interesting challenges. As I get, and I guess that's reflecting on my own background as a system designer, now turned CEO. I find that extremely interesting to build that system of people and and process. Right. And is there not always? And I don't want to make be making any assumptions, but there's always that tough challenge that at this point in in your organization, maybe like how much can grow cost. You know, it's finding that like at at what point do we say like you know seventy percent is fine, but this is the investment that goes into it. Is that an exercise that you guys are are facing right now, or? Oh, absolutely, and and I think that's so. One of the things with the SaaS model is that once it works, you want to put money on it, which means that you're adding a ton of leverage, and that's a huge risk. So, how do you kind of prevent running everything into the wall? And that's the that's the balancing piece, and. Uh, you know, obviously, you have you know unit economics that you really have to understand and get under, you know really measure and, and make sure that you you know it by you know market and segment. Um, but the really hard things into that next growth phase is you have certain markets that is really scalable, right? Where the unit economics is really really good, 
but then you have to open new markets and that unit economics is going to go completely out the window. So how do you measure it and how, how aggressive do you do it? And this is something where, um, you know, I've heard a couple of models that was interesting where instead of talking about, you know, payback time and CAC to LTV, people talk about CAC divided by ACV. So basically, uh, you know, people I've heard, you know, talking about a ratio of three, meaning uh, the payback time is three years for a period, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that we are definitely thinking about how hard do we push the pedal uh, and how do we do it responsibly. And you can use benchmarks as one way, but what it really comes down to is making sure that you you build the right things and you 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 know build the the capabilities and the structural capital you need in order to grow faster. And uh, you know, as a SaaS company, um, it's not uncommon to have GNA expenses of around twenty percent because you're always building that next capability, next next system, uh, which is also extremely uh, challenging, but but f- fun. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say, let me know if you figure it out. I go through some similar challenges uh, or opportunities, I should say, in, in my current gig. And I think it's also one of the exercises you need to convince your, your investors, your board that uh, in these particular markets, we're going to have to wait a few more years to make our money back. That's that's easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, this is one of the things that I really enjoy about the community that you're building here is that in the Nordics, SaaS isn't necessarily widely uh, understood by investors uh, it's it's getting a lot better for by all means but but that leverage and that that uh, i guess that the level of burn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would be uncomfortable if i didn't really understand uh, how the model works so uh, yeah uh, so, so i guess what i'm saying is that we have that additional challenge as well absolutely so uh we usually ask um if you are looking for something right now. So uh, if you're looking for some competencies or, or something else, uh, this is your chance to to give a shout out. Uh, thanks. So yes, we're, we are hiring across the board. Um, if you go to careers.rdog.com, you'll see the list of positions we're hiring for. Uh, it's, it is in product, it's in engineering, it's in sales, it's in marketing, it's in, in yeah, across the board. So uh, uh, I guess specifically, uh, we are hiring a talent manager, uh, like our internal recruiter, which is exciting. You can always put the job post in the SAS Nordic Slack community as well. There's a lot of activities going on there as well. There you go, Thomas. <laughs> Just push it. Push it, yes. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eric, we really enjoyed uh, having you on the show here. And we also wanted to ask you, uh, who would you like to see on the show? Is there any Norwegian or, or anybody else for that matter? That you feel like here's a, a a a guy or a girl that I'd really want to listen to. Yeah, I think uh, I would uh, like to see uh, the CEO of Sales Screen on the show. Um, I've uh, had a yeah, he's in New York at the moment, uh, Sindler, and uh, I would really like to have see him on the show. Is this somebody you know personally? Uh, somebody I get, I've been getting to know. I, he's uh, he has a lot of interesting uh, insights about account based marketing. Uh, I know that you just had a session on that, and they they're doing some exciting stuff there. Okay, awesome. So you know, our next question is like, would love to have him here if you can help with an introduction. That's useful. Definitely awesome. Well, uh, once again, thanks for 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 being on the show. Uh, really good insights, and and we're looking forward to following your journey. And it's uh, it's really exciting to see that it's not just Stockholm anymore. The entire Nordic tech scene is booming all over the place. So um, let's see where this ends. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. See you around. 
Right, Daniel. So what are your key takeaways from this episode? Well, I definitely know more about Arduk now. I know <laughs> in some of the prep sessions that we had, I was like, what the heck do these guys do? Uh, but now I feel I'm, I'm a little bit more enlightened. I'm a little bit more smarter. And uh, really, Eric is such a nice guy. And listening to his personal story and listening to the story of Arduk, I think there's a couple of things that stand out. But really what I take away here is... As a person, as a professional, you got to be ready to evolve and reiterate his journey at Ardoc, developer, CTO, CPO, CEO. You know, he, he's been a, t- able to, to evolve and take on different type of roles. But it's also the same thing when I listen to him and the story about Ardoc. There is an idea, there is a, uh, a plan for how to bring this to market, there is a, a concept for how to price this. He had the fun story of uh, winning the first customers going to dinner and then realizing that holy shit we're not charging the right amount to our customers and it, it's just about iterate evolve change but you know get off the the starting blocks get in there try it out evaluate update and then move forward so i think that that was a really good example here that that's the only way to do it because you, you're never going to get it right with just the drawing board yeah and what i think What's interesting here is that uh, in some other interviews we have done, we've talked about that it's good to build a product that you want to use yourself and uh, that, you know, enables you to have a lot of empathy with the customer and so on. But it's not always that the needs that you have is the needs that the, um, the majority of the customer has. So, and I think that was the situation that Ardoc came in. And then was this big event with GDPR that suddenly the needs of a lot of enterprises changed and they saw that their product could play a vital role within that new normal. And I think that is also something to think about that uh, you should pay attention whether your product is solving your specific needs or if it's uh, if there is a greater market out there and especially be monitoring events that could be game changers and try to act on them as soon as possible exactly exactly it's, it's interesting in their case you know the tipping point was gdpr but it's, it's always the question like what is the tipping point for my business can i identify that it's not always that legislation will work in my favor so if somebody can crack that how to identify tipping points <laughs> i'm all ears yeah and as we said before, nice to revisit uh, Norway. And going forward, we're going to have quite many Finnish episodes. So we are looking forward to that, dive into the rich SaaS industry in Finland. Definitely, definitely. And we're recording them while we're sitting in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, hope to see you at the Slack community. And also follow us on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, see you around. See you around. <laughs>